Hey, I'm John Harwood, your host for CNBC's Speakeasy podcast. In this episode, I traveled to Iowa to catch up with Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker. A former football star, Rhodes Scholar, and big city mayor, the New Jersey senator has struggled so far to break through in the polls. But his skills, charisma, and extensive Iowa campaign team mean no one can write him off yet as he tries to become America's second African-American president. We sat down in a Des Moines coffee shop to discuss his ideas for economic renewal. One of the divides in this race is between people who uh, define themselves by wanting to fight with the other side and those who want to reconcile. What is the uh, episode that happened in the last couple of days with uh, former Vice President Biden? Does that tell you that the reconciliation side of this argument is the short side? Well, I I don't necessarily subscribe to the the premise that there's fighters and reconcilers. Um, You know, I can't... Radical love. And, and, and yet, you and I both know that it was radical love that showed some of the fiercest fighting during the civil rights movement. You know, they didn't bring bigger hoses and bigger dogs to beat Bull Connor, but they fought him with a toughness and a grit, uh, unarmed truth, uh, un- unyielding love that transformed our nation. And that's how bull- bullies and demagogues have always been beaten. I don't think we're going to beat Donald Trump using his tactics on his turf, but they called to the moral imagination of a country and, and transformed it. But there are some uh, uh, constituencies that uh, some people in your party think you love a little bit too much. That's why I raised that question. Pharma, home state uh, uh, industry, Wall Street, Silicon Valley. Is that a problem for you? Well, I think it's a problem if people have a very shallow analysis of my history. Um, you know, I, I have spent my half my life now living in uh, some of the lowest income communities of our country. I'm, love Newark, New Jersey, and we don't confuse wealth with work. And the whole world I see really is a lens through those communities that have been left out and left aside. And so if you look at my record on pharma, God, I'm on every single bill. Mm -hmm. I've authored bills with people like Bernie Sanders to take down these awful uh, uh, prices. When you got to the Senate, you were part of uh, a small group of uh, Democrats who opposed the drug importation uh, resolution. I mean, that's how these things spin on the internet. Um, A lot of people try to point to a late-night messaging, non-binding amendment uh, that I voted against. You think that was a meaningless vote? It it, it was an amendment that even if it passed, it would have had no change in law, nothing at all. It was a messaging amendment, but it didn't have the language I wanted, so I went and actually wrote a real piece of legislation, got Senator Sanders to work with me to to do something about it. Some nonprofit looked at uh, who voted where on Wall Street issues, and they said 0% of times uh, that I vote uh, for Wall Street interests that were trying to do things like uh, undermine regu- common sense regulations. Um, I'm, I'm a person that is in this to fight for low-income Americans. We've stripped the dignity from work. We've, we've undermined our capitalist system uh, to now make it a system that benefits overwhelmingly not shared growth and shared prosperity, but more and more concentrations of power. We're using that power to undermine our politics well, in Washington. Speaking of concentrations of power, uh, Mark Zuckerberg gave you several hundred million dollars uh, for school initiative that you had when you were in Newark. Is somebody like Mark Zuckerberg part of the problem or part of the solution? Well, I want to take a step back because I think, uh, America, I hope they know this story, which is um, as a mayor who had no control over my schools, a school system undertaken by the state, and I was one of those mayors that said, I'm taking responsibility. I may not have legal authority, but I'm going to find bold ways to create transformative change. He was an extraordinarily impactful philanthropist in our city because that gave us a lot of momentum to make change. Now, Facebook is really problematic. They're doing things 
uh, that are uh, that all of us in America, we just saw a Mueller report that pointed to um, how uh, foreign adversaries were using platforms like Facebook. You're not willing to say Facebook should be broken up? I'm willing to say that we need to look at tech companies in general because we have a problem in this country with corporate concentrations of power that are undermining basic free market, basic democratic ideals. And so if I am the leader of this country, which I, I, I hope I am, I'm going to be coming after hard these large monopolistic companies. But the fact that Zuckerberg um, was a uh, supporter of your initiative in Newark uh, with a lot of money, that's not the reason why you will not specifically, like Elizabeth Warren, say, break up uh, that company? Oh, I, I'm, I, there needs to be a lot of companies in America that are broken up, but it needs to be done in a sober, systematic way. It has now come out that China, as part of the conflict with uh, the Trump administration, in recent days has summoned tech executives and said, if you play ball with the administration and uh, uh, shut out sales to Chinese firms, you're going to pay a price for that. What would you tell tech companies when they uh, see what the administration's doing and hear that from China? Well, first of all, you have to understand as a former football player, what Donald Trump is doing right now uh, is basically cursing out his team and trying to go on a, on a playing field, one guy against uh, uh, you know, the, the Notre Dame, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's ridiculous. So here's a guy that started this fight by saying, not only am I going to put tariffs on China, but I'm going to put tariffs on all of our allies, too. In fact, Canada up there, I'm going to use a national security waiver to put tariffs on Canada. I know that Trudeau is really menacing, especially to guys like me, that hair of his, scary. But Canada is not our enemy. We're, they're not a national security threat. And so he basically at a time where we could have unified our allies to show real strength, because it's not just our tech companies that are being talked to like this, it's European tech companies, it's Canadian tech companies. China is playing an unfair game and their goal is to keep us divided. So what do you tell these tech companies who get this message from China? Well, if I'm president of the United States, I'm gonna first of all have a real strategy. We have a president that's doing foreign policy by tweet. I disagree with the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. and, so if, uh, and, and so what I do have a more of a problem with is the tech companies who are allowing China's values on privacy, on security, using those tech platforms to squelch the human rights of others, to surveil their citizens. These are things I have a problem with. And tech companies are willing to sacrifice values for profit. That's unacceptable to me. You uh, talked about um, uh, the need for alliances to take on China. Do you? want to be known as a pro-trade Democrat and specifically would you rejoin the Trans-Pacific Partnership if you became president? So I want to be known as a pro-fair trade Democrat, not trade in the way that's going to put uh, American workers in the crosshairs. We, we've done trade. Do you think President Obama put American workers in the crosshairs with the Trans-Pacific Partnership? I, I think the global trade agreements that we have been in, um, we did not have a plan for factory workers uh, in, in the Midwest, for small businesses in New Jersey. We, we did not account for how globalism was going to severely hurt people in America. So you think TPP was bad? I, I'm telling you what was bad was that we did not have a comprehensive plan. And so what I'm saying to you is, Switzerland has a program that if you lose your job, say, say you know, uh, globalism kills a company, you go right into an apprenticeship program that holds your salary and trains you for a modern job. That's a message that's very different than what we've been doing.
But if you say you can't take on China alone, you need to do it with allies, you got to pick an approach. And isn't picking an approach mean, mean TPP? That was the approach. You had 12 other countries. And, and I'm not going to submit to that binary analysis that you have because, again, you're not talking to somebody who hasn't run something, who hasn't had to make tougher choices in an economy about how I'm going to attract business. And so we did things in Newark that took a city that was in 60 years of financial decline and turned it around. You're talking to a guy who actually has, knows how to turn around economy, not just any economy, one of the toughest places to turn around economy in the country. And we did it not by falling into the false choices that you're giving us. But just to clarify this point, are you, are you saying you, you want a TPP but a better one than they negotiated or you don't want? I, I'm saying that, I would, that, that if we are going to win in Asia, we need to bring together the allies that we have there and do a deal that works for us to counter and check uh, a, a China in a which substantive way. Which is what way. TPP was. Which is not what TPP was. There were real problems with TPP that I had. Okay. And, and I'm telling you, that's what the binary choices that we're given as a country, and it's a lose-lose choice. What I'm saying to you is workers need to be at the center. Environmental issues at a time of global climate change need to be at the center of these negotiations, and they're not. Let's talk about Wall Street for a second. Jamie Dimon's the head of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, he put out a statement this year to shareholders and said that the tax cut was working. He supported the Trump tax cut. But he also said that the social needs of too many Americans are not being met. Is he part of the problem or part of the solution? The, you know, the rules of Wall Street, and again, I, I see things through the lens of an inner city, low-income community. The games that they played, the rig the system, hurt my community. It aggravated the racial walkout. And there's a lot of ire that I have for the way the rules have been written. And, and we have got to make sure that this economy is working for the ideals that we talk. That's why I passed a piece of legislation with, with uh, Tim Scott across mm -hmm. the aisle for opportunity zones. So we actually have a system now that's designed against building companies right. to last, that's being built to, to drive profits to people on Wall Street. A couple and it's of hurting, it's, it's, it's hollowing out, we're in Iowa, it's hollowing out communities like this and hurting what are, I think, basic capitalistic ideals. Some of your colleagues in the race are for a wealth tax, Elizabeth Warren, for a financial transaction tax. You for those? Uh, look, I, I've said that we have a massive revenue problem in this country and we need to do things to bring more revenue in. So the first idea of a wealth tax, I don't agree with Elizabeth Warren's plan. Uh, I believe that we should tax uh, uh, capital gains as ordinary income. That's going to bring a tremendous amount of money. I think we need to raise marginal uh, tax rates. How oh, high? Look, I, I, that's something we, that, that's going to be negotiated, but they need to go up. And, and is there a rate that you think is well, first shouldn't of all, go above that fifty percent? Of course, I wouldn't go. I would not go above fifty percent. Rolling back these toxic uh, Trump tax cuts alone, um, um, uh, to me, is, is important. What about a and, transaction tax? But hold on, hold on, because I mean, this is really important. We were sold this tax cut that is going to blow up our economy so much that it's going to pay for itself. We are now seeing under this president stunning levels of, of deficit spending that are going to get us to the point in a matter of years where our interest on debt is going to be more than our military budget. A, a transaction tax, that's not something that's in my plan. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what we have to start talking about is a system that's being designed in a very corrupt fashion. You have a, a pretty uh, aggressive plan to curb stock buybacks. Hasn't gone anywhere in the Congress, but it, but it uh, would make a significant change. Would you do anything about the widening ratio between 
CEO pay and average worker pay, which has exploded in the last couple of decades. So a couple things. One is we know stock buybacks was a, in the 80s, it was illegal. It was called stock manipulation. And we should start having conversations about the structural things that have changed our economy, uh, that have concentrated power in the hands of the few and undermined the, the shared wealth and prosperity of a vibrant entrepreneurial uh, 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 society that values labor and the, and the cost of labor. So these are larger conversations that we need to have. The incredible uh, uh, wealth disparities that we're seeing right now uh, and the incentives we're giving CEOs on how to make money. Remember, we talked earlier, by incentivizing people towards quarterly earnings and not incentivizing to creating value, not value just for uh, a shareholders who, who might hold your stock for 10 minutes. Right. Is uh, that how you deal with CEO pay rather than direct uh, regulation? I, I think we've got to have a conversation about how to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm talking to a lot of the, some of the best economists uh, that really are focused on the values that I'm focused on. Don't have on. a plan now. I don't have on a plan now. Yeah. Um, now you've got aggressive plans for baby bonds, which uh, are is designed to close the racial wealth gap. And also rental subsidies, which uh, a lot of people on the left like it, would uh, cost about uh, $2 trillion over 10 years. Um, do you think that you need to pay for that? That's more than you could get by just rolling back the Bush tax cuts. Or do you subscribe to the idea that some Democrats have, which is they didn't pay for their tax cut, we don't need to pay for our stuff either. So the deficits are overrated. I'm not going to tell you deficits are overrated. I know too much about math to tell you that. And, and when you say I can't pay for it just by rolling back the Trump tax cuts, I can tell you from the estate tax to the Trump tax cuts to taxing order, I could give you the math on how we're going to do this. Mm -hmm. But I also want to challenge you because this is what I, I get is, is please move to my neighborhood for one month and you will see how expensive poverty is to this country. Mm -hmm. We have a system that is, seems to be so much more comfortable with paying for the costs of poverty than making strategic investments on the front end that not only would save us taxpayer dollars, but would elevate human potential. And when you elevate human potential of children in my neighborhood in Newark, that genius, that's the most valuable natural resource any country has because that genius could be inventors and artists that, that can trigger societies. Uh, you've said on Medicare for All that you are um, going to be pragmatic and not go for the, uh, not let the perfect stand in the way of the good. Same position on Green New Deal? Well, look, we, we are a country that needs to have bold plans to solve our challenges and the environment. I'm going to be a president that says, this is not an issue. This is how we're going to look at everything from our foreign policy and our, our trade deals and our uh, uh, foreign billions of dollars of foreign aid. Uh, this is how we're going to look at our ag bill. This is going to look at our transportation, the Department of Transportation. Everything has to be done with an urgency for dealing with the, the, the planetary peril that we have, can actually grow our economy, create better jobs, uh, uh, and show this country, this planet, a model for how to deal with this problem. You talked about the importance of unions. One of the big issues in the tech industry is the gig economy. Should workers in that economy be considered employees rather than contractors? I, I think that we uh, have to change. I mean, Uber drivers, I can go through the folks that are getting, I think, a raw deal. Um, and we have got to make this new work uh, uh, we have to view work in this country differently, and that means dealing with everything from portable benefits uh, uh, to, to how we're going to deal with requirement security, but even changing the understanding of what work is. And what we were talking about before with Jamie Dimon, I had this conversation with him where I went at him, like, you know, a janitor, New York Times did this great article, a janitor that worked for Kodak versus a janitor that works for Apple. The janitor who worked for Kodak actually worked for Kodak. 
got the benefits. Uh, uh, for the, they got tuition assistance programs, retirement benefits, had dignity. They followed this woman in that article that worked up to middle management and mm -hmm. great American story. The janitor worked for Apple. It doesn't work for Apple anymore. They, right. they, they, their, their wages have been suppressed. They don't have benefits. They don't have retirement security. That person doesn't, can't go to school at night and rise. And so that's the, the unfair change in our economy. I bring up Jamie Dimon because I had that conversation with him. He actually hired back uh, a lot of the people that work in his building because he was like, you're absolutely right. And so we cannot create a corporate culture that is anti-free market, anti-capitalist. That's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You've got to create a system that promotes the kind of growth we're going to need in the future. When I talk to Democrats, the biggest criticism relates to uh, uh, a notion that arose in your I am Spartacus moment in those uh, judiciary hearings, the idea that uh, show horse rather than workhorse. Right. Well, first of all, you know that I've been in the Senate for five or six years. Nobody can point to any other moment. And that moment, if you actually listen to it, I wasn't talking about myself. I was talking about Dick Durbin. That when when uh, a Texas senator literally said, "I'm going to throw, I'm going to make sure you're thrown out of the Senate," Dick Durbin stands up and says, "You throw him into the pit, throw me there too." And I was like, "Oh my God!" I literally just have a senior senator in Illinois saying that if I'm going to get kicked out of the Senate, he wants to go too. And I'm like, basically, that was the closest I'll ever come to seeing an "I am Spartacus" moment. So I was. Talking about him, but again, we live in this echo chamber that people will try to take out something you say. It's been six years in the Senate, you, you can barely find moments uh, where I popped up above uh, the radar screen because I was going to work with people on the other side of the aisle. I passed legislation with Ted Cruz to protect uh, after after disasters. I passed legislation and, and amendments with with people who consider right-wing conservatives like uh, like uh, Chairman Inhofe. Think Chuck you can Grassley. work with those guys as president. Again, the only major bipartisan bill to pass under this president was one that I led on the, on the Senate side, working with people uh, like Chuck Grassley. The, the bipartisan bill for, for Opportunity Zones with a guy on the other side of the aisle. So this is a time where we, all of us have to say, how can we be falling into tribalism as a nation when our very ideal is to put more indivisible in this one nation under God? Tribalism is fear-based, zero-sum game, us against them. That's actually not how markets work. Markets say that if you're doing better, it's going to have a multiplier effect to help me do better as well. We have to get back to a country that has these ideals of that beloved community. We need to get back to understanding we're in this together. And my biggest fear is that this election is going to become a referendum on one guy and one office. When it, what it needs to become is a referendum on who we are to each other, the soul of our nation. We're so busy fighting each other. When I played football, if I heard the other huddle and defense starting to fight amongst it, tear each other down, I would turn to my guys in the huddle and say, we're about to score a touchdown. And so that's where we are. While we are at each other's throats, not even doing the things that the polls show we agree on, America agrees you shouldn't put aside life-saving prescription drugs because you can't afford it. America agrees that we shouldn't treat our mental health problem in prisons and jails, which is so much more expensive. We agree on these things, but we're not getting things done. I'm running for president not just because I want to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, I want the guy gone, but I'm actually running for president because I want to unite this country. Not about what I'm against, it's about what I'm for and who I'm for. You're in a bit of a sub-competition with Senator Harris uh, because black voters are a very significant part of this uh, contest. You're going to South Carolina in a couple of days to uh, talk to the Black Economic Alliance. What's your message to them and, and why you? Right. Um, so first of all, I don't. I don't know. Pundits like to try to figure out who's competing in lanes and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm in a track race here. I'm not looking to the lane next to me. I'm running my race. And and my uh, my 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 message very clearly to African Americans who are concerned about economy, jobs, access to capital, and those issues is number one. I'm the only person in this race. It's been the CEO. It's chief executive of a major minority city, majority Black and Latino. And we have shown 
that we have strategies to create better access to capital, to create uh, better jobs, to turn around our economy, to show shared growth, to fight against the, the ills of gentrification, is I've got a, a record for doing some pretty incredible things, even in the Senate, mm -hmm. from passing the only major bipartisan piece of legislation I led from the Democratic side with uh, Dick Durbin on this, in the Senate uh, for mass incarceration, the, the uh, legislation I passed on empowerment zones, is, is my message to folks is very simple. Uh, I'm a proven leader under difficult circumstances working for inclusive economic growth, uh, um, and I'm going to be the champion that makes this economy work for all people, especially communities like the one I come from, or communities like many here in Iowa that have been too long overlooked, undervalued, underappreciated, underinvested in, and they need to be, have a seat at the table. In the first quarter fundraising, two candidates got more than 50% of their money from large donors, you and Senator Harris. What does that tell you? I think it tells you we're growing our list out. I haven't run a race since 2014. People have run races in 2018. Heck, Heidi Heitkamp, my dear friend, has a bigger uh, email list than us because people who ran in 2018 had a lot of agenda and energy. So we're growing our small online contributions. I'm excited that we've made the debate stage with having over 60, 70,000 individual donors and we're, we're continuing to grow momentum in this campaign. That's it for this episode of Speakeasy. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Speakeasy was produced by MC Wellens and Pat Anastasi. Editing by Jeff Dills. Oh, and by the way, please rate our podcast. It helps listeners find us. And leave your feedback in the comments section. We want to hear from you. Talk soon. <laughs>